Welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. In each episode, I speak with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. If you enjoy the WSU Wheat Beat podcast, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. And leave us a review while you're there so others can find the show too. My guest today is Aaron Esser. Aaron is with WSU Extension in Lincoln and Adams Counties. He has been with WSU for more than 20 years. About 10 years ago, he took over the chair of the WSU Wilkie Farm Management Committee. The WSU Wilkie Research and Extension Farm is a 340-acre facility on the eastern edge of Davenport, Washington, in the intermediate rainfall zone. Hello, Aaron. Hello, Drew. How are you? I'm doing well. So, uh... With, with the 2020 winter wheat harvest uh, in the rearview mirror now, can you summarize the season for us in the intermediate rainfall zone? Yeah, Drew. Um, you know, down here in the traditional winter wheat summer fallow area of Adams County, the winter wheat harvest is, um, for the most part, it'll, it'll be wrapping up here by the end of the week, I think. And when you get into the higher rainfall portions of Lincoln County, you know, they're really just starting to really crank it up as a, of this week. So... So it's been kind of interesting, but when you look at what the wheat harvest has been like, I'm going to call it kind of a Jekyll and Hyde, a lot of good versus bad. Um, a, some very good yields on the bad side, maybe the prices. Um, you know, when you look at just the last couple of weeks, we've lost, I don't know, um, we've lost a significant amount, I think 24 cents or something like that um, per bushel. So. That's part of the Jekyll and Hyde. Um, but when you look at, you know, some of the stuff with the variety variety test plots and stuff, it kind of sums up a little bit about what we're seeing. Um, you know, going into the, um, after May 1st, once we started getting some of the rain, I, have eight, I had 80% of the crop in both Lincoln and Adams County rated in that good to excellent. And I, I think we're pretty close to that. Um, you know, having the third wettest event, I think in, it lend really helped. And when you start looking at one of the, what I'm going to call the, on the Jekyll and Hyde portion of it, the good versus bad, um, a lot of the yields were in relationship to how well you did trying to get your um, winter annual weeds, especially downy brome under control. And when I look at, look at um, limiting factors across Lincoln and Adams County, I'm going to say downy brome was probably the single largest Limit, yield limiting factor that that we've had this year, and I think that's probably going to be the kind of the story moving forward. Um, you know, that's really told in the variety test plot results. When you look at Lind um, on the variety test results, the the trial average eighty bushel an acre, which is greater than anything they've had over the last five years. You know, over the last five years, it's averaged 56.4 bushel. So we're 24 bushel over the five-year average. Um, so extremely good yields there. But then when you go to Ritzville, it says, this, um, you know, and they put a lot of effort into trying to get the downy brome under control. Um, Clark Neely's group did. Um, this location was not harvested because of downy brome. And, and I think that's just kind of summarizes what we're seeing across this area and, 
I, I think those results are probably going to even extend a lot further than um, the traditional winter wheat summer fallow area that that I traditionally work in. Yeah, no, I know I had a study out uh, near Ritzville where um, we didn't uh, we did some work on downy brome control and we didn't uh, put out any treatments to the spring. And even though we got excellent spring control of the downy brome, we still lost a lot of yield. Um, because of that fall comp, fall and winter competition from Downy Brome. So uh, where the Downy Brome wasn't a problem in the fall and over winter, uh, yields were quite good. But if you had Downy Brome in the fall and winter, even if you got it controlled in the spring, uh, there was a significant yield hit because of that. Yeah, I was talking with the producer actually today, and we're reminiscing about kind of that perfect storm where two years ago, kind of in these same fields that they're harvesting this year, Two years ago, it was a really dry fall, and despite some of their efforts on on doing some tilling and and some other things, they really had absolutely no green up into it. So we germinated, you know, there was no rain two years ago, so nothing germinated. And then we got all the rain last fall, and so you know we we're talking about it. I think every winter annual seed and seed out there germinated this last this last fall, and that's kind of what we're seeing. Um, it, it, with this whole 2020 crop year. Okay, so I assume you got a, a number of questions on downy brome control, but what other uh, questions were fairly common this past year? Um, a lot of what I, you know, there was nothing really out of the ordinary for the most part, but um, a lot of the going back to the rust and the foot rot and what, what I, do I need to put a fungicide or, or do I not need to spray? And stuff, and I, I think that was a big factor um, early on. You know, we we're looking at some different rusts, especially as we moved into May um, with some of the precip. Um, but going back, you know, going over those numbers with farmers. Okay, what variety do you plant? What what do you have for a stripe rust number? Is it susceptible or resistant? And then what do you have for a foot rot number? Starbreaker foot rot. Is it um, how how susceptible is it? You know, like a variety like Curiosity, you know, I think it's a six for uh, uh, six for um, stripe rust and is pretty um, susceptible to strawberry or foot rot. You know, when I look at a variety like that, um, the application of a fungicide is probably or is definitely worth it. Um, but when you look at another variety like Resilience, it has a one for, I think it has a one for um, stripe rust and as a four for strawberry or foot rot. That's what I had at the WSU Wilkie farm this year. Um, we applied no fungicides on, on that crop and it did extremely well for us. I actually put a trial in it, you know, because I kept getting asked this question. So right after we got done with herbicides, I put some a fungicide treatment out over the, over the um, crop, both in an area in the draw bottom where, you know, foot rot might be more prevalent. And we also had some pretty severe, um, frost damage in the draw and we also put the same study up on the hill where we didn't have you know maybe less prevalence for um foot rot resist or for foot rot and we had less um frost damage or no no frost damage and overall it was interesting the um um no difference in yield whatsoever and i think the check actually had maybe a half a bushel advantage over where we put this where we spent the thirteen dollars on fungicide. Okay, for, uh, I wonder if for our listeners who may not be aware of our uh, 
rating system here, if you could explain what a one and a four is and what the scale is used when making those ratings. Yeah, if you if you go into the variety test location, good quite good point, Drew. Um, if you go into the variety test location or um, website, um, especially on the variety testing tool, you're going to see a list of varieties, and then it has them ranked. On most of them are one. One to nine, with one being the most susceptible and nine being the, the most, um, uh, or nine, excuse me, <laughs> one is the most resistant and nine is the most susceptible and stuff. So the, so most of the disease ratings goes off that scale of one to nine. So you're looking Once, for something with a one to three. It, the be- lower the number, the better off you are. Yep. Okay. And... So- and so the, a lot of work goes into developing those numbers, you know, and sometimes farmers, you know, they may not want to trust them, but in, in most of my time and energy, like the study we put in on, on that resilience this year, you know, the numbers worked and no fungicide was required. I would have got a, I think I would have got a completely different answer if we would have um, planted curiosity. Okay. So a good point for growers to know what those numbers are so they know what to do when stripe rust or some other problem rears its head. So uh, there was no this, – this was an unusual year because there was no in-person WSU Wilkie Farm Field Day um, this year. How did uh, – I think you tried some virtual uh, tours or some virtual videos of tours. How did those go and can you give us a few highlights from the Wilkie Farm? Um. You know, I'd like to start on that by thanking Dr. Clark Neely and the Variety Testing Program and and then the um, WSU um, Academic Outreach and Innovation for helping put all that together, um, especially in such a short time and everything else with all this stuff going on. Um, I think they did a really good job of putting together some, some of this. Um, so I was really impressed by that. If you haven't gone and found the, those videos we have the WSU Wilkie Field Day up there and some selected things. You can go to the W. If you just Google WSU YouTube Field Day, um, it should come up. It came up in my web browser and a great opportunity. I'm still looking for some more views um, on that. Um, so that, that'd that be good to get some more views. Yeah. You can also um, get to them through the uh, WSU Wheat and Small Grains website, uh, smallgrains.wsu.edu. Okay. Yes. I, I figured you'd pick that one up, Drew. <laughs> Thanks um, for the pitch. Yeah. But, you know, some of the highlights, you know, um, we've had, had views, probably we have had more views than what would have attended the field day. So that that's a good thing. But, you know, I'm always optimistic and hoping for a few more. Um, you know, but some of the highlights we had, um, you know, Part of it, the interesting comparison, winter wheat versus winter peas. I summarized one of those studies, you know, we've been doing over the last three years. And when you go back and look at it and break it down on equal pricing, winter peas and winter wheat have um, actually returned close to the same amount on a on a per pound basis. But winter wheat will out yield winter peas. So you're making a little bit more off the winter wheat than you do off the winter peas. Um the spring wheat yields are significantly better following winter peas than following winter wheat, which is to be expected. But it doesn't quite make up necessarily for that whole economic loss you took in the winter wheat versus winter pea comparison. But the one thing you have is you have good weed control. 
and, and I, I can't, under, can't devalue that. Um, um, you know, I, I told you, I was talking to a grower today and he said, you know, a downy brome for the most part one or one on his farm. And he said, the only grassy weed control that worked was my peas. The beyond he was disappointed in, he was uh, disappointed with the osprey and some of the stuff he put the Olympus on. He said he was disappointed all, in all those. The one he was only, the only one he was happy with was the peas. Um, you know, so that has to factor into some of that economic value and things like that. So it'll be nice to see if we can get, you know, that market price of peas up a little bit because I think that'll be tremendous in helping us with this grassy weed control. Um, you know, Lydia from Ian Burke's group talked about their, their research and what they're doing with, with the WeedIt um, system and the WeedIt technology. And I, I still really have, especially for these producers out here in this winter wheat summer fellow area, I, I think that technology is um, really going to be instrumental as we move forward over the next five to 10 years. Um, not only just in fallow management, but I'd like to have that technology available for farmers now to, after they're done with harvest, to bring that technology in and run across those fields and really take care of any weeds that they have out there. You know, after you harvest, you got a few Russian thistles and yeah, maybe some prickly lettuce and some mare's tail and, you know, la-dee-da-dee-da all hanging on. And you could finally go out and just finish them off. So I really like that technology. And then, you know, Isaac talked um, about the canola, and the, the spring canola varieties. And, you know, when you start looking what canola can bring to the table, it's not the canola of, yester of yesterday. You know, some of these varieties have some pretty good yield potential. I think when you look at them, some of the spring canola that we have in Lincoln County, there's going to be people breaking their all-time high in yields um, this year. And a lot of credit goes to the um, the improvements in the cultivars and, and the knowledge gained on on how to produce these um, how to produce canola and selecting the right variety and just the um, technology and weed control that you can that that it brings. You can have the Clearfield resistance, you have Liberty Link resistance, you have Roundup Ready, or you have some of the traditional. Um, non-GMO canolas or Clearfields non-GMO as well but you have a lot of different choices that really fit into a different into whatever type of cropping system you have um, so I, I really like that um, you know one of the other things we're going to highlight at, at the Wilkie Field Day is our first attempt at winter barley um, we put it in a recrop scenario and the good news is we have winter barley. We're currently harvesting it. The bad news is the um, the weeds, um, especially those winter annuals, um, did quite well. We have um, unexpectedly more downy brome than we anticipated in the field. And the um, the, the mustard um, broadleafs did quite well as, well as well. So, you know, weed control is a minus. And the uh, market price of barley is definitely a minus, but we'll see what happens with the yield moving forward. Okay. Sounds like you have some interesting things going on at the Wilkie Farm this year. Um, do you have any uh, uh, changes coming along for the coming year? Well, you know, maybe it's, 
I'm a little nervous, Drew, because after we finished 19, you know, it was so many ups and downs. I'm like, I kept making comments. I can't wait for 2020 to get here. And, you know, I keep hearing people go, careful what you wish for, careful what you wish for. Well, I was sorry I wish for 2020. Um, and so now I'm scared to say I can't wait for 2021 to get here. Um, but but what we have going, I, I think, is um, building on what we've been doing, continuing with the soil pH work that we've been doing. We've expanded that study, um, not only at the Wilkie Farm, but we put it in a second location in cooperation with Howard Nelson, um, it, it, some ground up at Creston. So further continuing to look at soil pH and how to mitigate some of those issues. We have the long-term study at the Wilkie Farm um, where we've seen anywhere from this year, we had a 3.7% increase in yield um, to previous two years with chickpeas and and DNS spring wheat. Um, I think we are close to a 6.5% increase in yield. Probably not a quite enough to pay for the application and stuff, but at least we're seeing some positive influences from, from increasing the soil pH in some of these regions. Um, expanding the work, looking at um, downy brome control. You know, you've heard me say it over and over, I think. The thing that's going to be keeping farmers up at night is going to be um, weed control weed control and weed control. It's not going to be variety selection or anything else. If we can get the, the weed control and stuff under, under control, I think we can find a lot of varieties that will fit farmers just just fine. Um, and so we've expanded some of that work, going back, looking at using Zidua and some of these pro- products. Um, Zidua is a group 15 herbicide. It's kind of one of those pre-plant or um, um, herbicides um need some activity in the soil and things to get it to work, but we're trying some different timings and things like that. See if we can find more efficacy out of that to maybe help with the, to help with the, with the group twos um, for downy brome control. Yeah. I think it's important to get a couple modes of action in there working together because individual ones are, are, are starting to fail us. Um, I, I don't think they're starting to, I think they're, (laughs) I think I think they started to a year or two ago. I think we're um, it's it's full throttle now on yeah. on on that side of things. Yep, I would agree, and I see uh, wild oats coming on strong, uh, so they're starting to uh, lose or being able to overcome the herbicides I, we've been using. It's interesting, as you mentioned the wild oat thing. Um, I probably have more wild oats in my on the Wilkie farm this year than I've had the last five years combined. And I think it, a lot of it comes down to that May rain. That was when they started and it really brought on some wild oats, but I even had um, wild oats in, in some of my winter wheat. And it's been a long time in that Lincoln County area that I've seen wild oats in winter wheat. I know so doc- that was kind of surprising to me. And Dr. Burks identified um, resistance to group ones and group twos uh, throughout Eastern Washington uh, in wild oats. So it's it's out there and it's uh, my guess is it's on the increase now. So downy brome, Italian ryegrass, wild oat, Russian thistle, pick pick your weed and you have resistance issues out there. So we, we, sp- we spent a lot of time talking about uh, 2020 and what you've seen this year. What, what in, get your crystal ball out. What do you see as the big changes coming uh, 
in the next few years? You know, the big changes is we're, we're going to continue it with these record or near record yields and the price is going to go up. <laughs> Wonderful. So, um, you know, so I, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about positive, but, you know, we always come back to herbicides and, and we always want that one, you know, I applied this herbicide to fix this problem, this herbicide to fix this problem. You know, it's really going to take that systems and the rotation and stuff. And, you know, just at the Wilkie farm alone, you know, we keep a piece of the farm in a three rotation, which is summer fallow, winter wheat, spring cereal. And then the other one is a four year rotation where we go summer fallow, winter wheat, a broadleaf crop, then a spring cereal. So we stretch it out to four years. And it's so much easier, Drew, year in and year out to control weeds in that four-year rotation than what we have in that three-year rotation. And, you know, there's never been a good substitute for management and having a plan in place. So we still got to continue solving today's problems with an eye to what we're doing for the future. Um, and I think that's going to be more more important today than than ever. Um, with some of the stuff coming down, you know, when I started doing farm bill education, I think there was a few farmers shocked that they had a um, barley base acres, you know, I didn't know, didn't know that existed on our farm, you know, in this country out here in the winter, wheat summer fallow. Well, since these, since we got the group twos out there for downy brome, you know, the barley and the spring cropping and stuff went away. And, and I think we're going to have to start pulling some of that stuff back into it to really help us get a handle on this grassy weed control. You know, we can't rely on herbicides and herbicides alone. We hear about the new coaxium system and stuff. You know, that's another one. We can't rely on the coaxium system alone. It's going to take multiple modes of action, multiple rotations, and some other diversity to help prolong the tools that that tool and the tools that are, we have that are currently still working. So, you know, putting an emphasis on management moving forward and not just in the short term, but with an eye on the long term, I think is going to be more important. Well said. I couldn't have said it better myself, Aaron. Aaron, thanks for yeah. taking some time to share with us what you've seen at the Wilkie Farm and then your area this year and your thoughts about uh, the near future. Thanks for being on the show. I appreciate everything, Drew, and thanks again for all you do. Thanks for joining us and listening to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you liked what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions or topics you'd like to hear on future episodes, please email me at drew.lyon, that's L-Y-O-N, at wsu.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu and on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next time.